Bhagavad-gītā-sāvatmā-jñāna-timirandāsyā Jñāna-nyāna-sadākāya Chakshūrūn-militam yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha So, we've been hearing about the sacred places of Mathura Mandal, Mathura Mandal and places therein, which Sanatana Goswami is seeking the blessings of in order to have the power to speak at some length, to comment on the Goloka Mahatmyam, means the glorification of Golok, which is the second section of this text, Brihat Bhagavatamrita. And so we've heard about Mathura Mandal and Vrindavan. And now, as I, as I mentioned in the last uh, discussion, Sanatan Prabhu cited a verse from Bhagavatam to serve as evidence that within Mathura Mandal there were places that were very special and that they were dear to uh, Brajendranandan Krishna. And those places were Vrindavan, Jamuna, and Govardhan. Places in, you could say, things or people. So, Jamuna and Govardhan. Jamuna is like, not as much a place, but practically encircles Vrindavan and Govardhan towers above. So first, something in praise of Jamuna. He says, Jayati Tarani Putri Dhamaraj Swasa Ya Kalayati Maturaya Sakyam Atyeti Gangam Mura Hara Daita Tatpadapatma Prasutam Bohati Cha Makarandam Nirapura Chalena Jayati Tarani Putri So he says All glories to the daughter of the sun and Dhamaraja Swasa the sister of Yama Yamaraj Dhamaraj she the twin sister of Yama Yami is her name Jamuna so these are references to famous statements in the uh, entirety of the scripture that speak in a general way about the glories of Jamuna. He says, Kalayati Maturaya Sakyam. She's developed a, a friendly relationship with Mathura. Atiti Gangam Murahara Doita Tat Padapadma Prasuttam Bahati Cha Bakarandam Nirapura Chalena. She made friends with Matura and she says in her greatness exceeds the glory of that famous river Ganga Devi, the Ganges. And on the pretext of being a river, she carries the nectar flowing from the lotus feet of Krishna. Nice verse. So first of all, he's spoken about her, as I say, 
in terms of two general references found in the revealed scripture, and then in a more specific way, something you won't find everywhere. But all three of these ways of speaking about her are in terms of relationship. So, I mean, it means as a, as a daughter, as a sister, as a friend. And so it's important as on the side to, to note that anyone or anything cannot fully be understood or it's power ascertained, position ascertained, without really ascertaining that, uh, considering that which it is in relation to. It's like ourselves. Then. We are tata, tatasta shakti. So, if we are in relation to maya, that will very much define us. If we are in relation to the material energy, if we are in relation to the sarup shakti of the Lord, we will very much be defined by that. We are largely a product of our environment, our sangha, our association. We keep good association. Keep good association. We will really be defined by that. Therefore, Mahaprabhu was very generous in his outlook. Nowadays, people are considered very generous to consider a person not in terms of their past, but in terms of their present. There's not even that many people that are generous enough to do that. They want to condemn a person because of their past, even though their present may be different entirely. That's considered generous, but Mahaprabhu had a different idea, more generous. We should expect that from him. Mahabodhanaya Uttar. He's been described by Sri Rupa, most magnanimous descent of Bhagwan. And so what is that generous outlook that he had? Rather than consider people in terms of their past or their present, he would like to consider in terms of their future. And this is particularly then in relation to us. And the Vaishnavas following in his footsteps they're like this also. It means that a person should be judged in terms of their ideal. Not even what they were or what they are, but what they aspire to be. How generous this is. And the fact of the matter is that which we aspire to be, that we will become. Body follows the mind. Yam yam vyapi, what is Maram bhavam tadhyante kalevaram tam tam evaiti konte asada tad bhava bhavita tad bhava bhavita You are what you think, something like that. That subtle body of, of mind that will follow us into the next birth and, and produce a gross body that conforms with it. So what we want to be is what we are preoccupied with. So it's important that we have uh, some idea of our sadhya, our goal, that will inform our sadhana, our practice. Mahaprabhu said, Jivera sarup hoi krishna nityadasa. This is the swarup. 
of the Jeev, Krishna Das, as a general statement, but a very accurate statement in as much as all sentiments of love for Krishna, they are really expressions of the serving ego, intensified. But love at its foundation has service and sacrifice. And we shall try to develop this basic ego, and then it will intensify naturally in a particular way to form a, a spiritual identity. And so, much of what we will become will be a product of our association, what we'll think about, what we'll aspire for, and so forth. So, we're very fortunate to be connected to the Bodhibar, family of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, the teachings of Mahabharu, and so forth. You may not feel yourselves to be very spiritually advanced, and you may even feel that people in other spiritual traditions are more advanced, or better humans even. And that may be the case to some extent, so we should be embarrassed by that, to think that with an ideal that reaches as high as Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and that is so generous to come so low as to where we are, that we should be taking advantage of that more than we are. We see people going ahead of us, we are driving a Volvo, and they're driving a, a Ford. Actually, Ford owns Volvo now, but <laughs> that's not a good analogy. A Volkswagen, let's say. But they're ahead of us. Of course, the car won't last as long. You know, they have a saying that if you buy a Volvo and keep it for a million miles, then they'll give you a free one. They give you that certificate when you buy a Volvo. It's in America, they give you that. That's a, it's a long-lasting car. So, anyway, Volkswagen won't last as long. That way it won't go as far. It won't go as fast either. But if person in the Volkswagen is stepping on the gas and you are in the Volvo stepping on the brake, then he will be ahead of you. So you have to step on the gas. This is the idea. And what we're connected with, again, this is the overall point I'm making, that very much will define us. And one who has the, the vantage point to see that, who sees from that angle of vision, will relate to us accordingly. So sometimes our Gurudev, we will think that he's very generous. At least my Gurudev was very generous. I can't be as generous as him, but, I, but a little bit. Because he was generous with me, then it's possible for me to also be a little bit like that. At any rate, he was very generous with me. But that was his... His uh, and he would say things, nice things about me and to me, but it's easy to be generous when you have the, a broader vision, when you know what the thing is about that people are in touch with, and you see that they are on the path and inching forward, and, and you look at them as if they're there. It's just a, it won't be long now. So many of the foundation stones are in place, the building will go up. So they tend to relate to us like that, and we think, gee. That's pretty generous. He doesn't know where I'm really at, I guess. <laughs> no, he, he knows, but that's a small thing. Where you're at is because the roots have been pulled up now. You won't be able to stay there. So, this is our good fortune. I've given an example before. If you're the doorman 
in a hundred-story building. I mean, you just open the door. Come in, sir. Come out, sir. Like that. The next to you is a ten-story building. And there's a man who's the president, chairman. And he lives on the tenth floor. And every day he looks out of his tenth floor penthouse window down at you, the doorman, and thinks, that poor doorman, he's just opening the doors there. I'm living in my big suite on the tenth floor here. But what he fails to see, recognize, is that although you are the doorman for the hundred-story building and living on the ground floor and just opening doors, you can also go in the door and go up in the company because you're connected with that company. One day you can live on the hundredth floor in the penthouse as the chairman and look down at that man like a doorman only. So bhakti has this kind of reach. It reaches down even to the, the beginning person, doorman, that Dorman is in a better position than the president of, of another company, than a liberated person in the Ganmark, yeah. a sense-controlled yogi. But why, then, you're better because of what you're associated with? So the, all the regard, the glory goes to that. Vaishnav Sangha, Gaudi Vaishnav, Guru Parampara, the generosity of Nam Prabhu, and so on and so forth, made our good fortune. So at any rate, he uh, here begins to speak about Jamuna Devi in terms of her Sangha, her association. And it's glorious. Daughter of the sun. The sister of the god of death. Justice himself. Yamraj. Who takes everyone who takes. Everyone who's on the take, he takes. Material life generally means to be on the take, to exploit. We are bound to exploit. We cannot avoid being an exploiter as much as we've identified ourselves with the body. So, being on the take, as I say, then we owe. And then off to Dharmaraj we go. We're a verdict. <laughs> Where to go from here? He's like the big, um, those people that call you up day or night. You owe money. Debt collectors. Something like that. You can't avoid them. The long arm of, of Dharmaraj cannot be avoided. And she's become the friend of, of Mathura. A place cannot survive without water. We don't think about it that much, but if you live in, in the country, then it's a little more apparent. You have a well, like we have at Audaria. Sometimes the water doesn't work. <laughs> We have to repair the well and the pump and so forth. So, Anyway, water is life, as you know that. They found it on Mars, it's been told, or that there was some there. Water means life. That's why the Vedas speak about creation in terms of water, beginning with water. These were great mystics uh, who were looking at the same thing with modern science, but with a different a different eye, a different approach. So they described it in a different way, but there are many similarities in their description because after all, it is the same thing that they're looking at. The scientific eye is looking at the world through instruments and so forth, but with a heart also, with a certain faith and a heart. And the heart is filled with the desire to, to dominate, to exploit nature for the purposes within their hearts, which are small. Small and, and such that nature will not feel comfortable with that agenda. So some resistance will be there. She will not show her full face and beautiful form 
to them. Something will be learned, no doubt. But with the mystics, devotees, they approach nature in a different way. They approach as lovers, servants and lovers, not to exploit the world, but to venerate even, to, to worship the world, everything. This is bhakti, not just Krishna. Everything is Krishna. Everything is Krishna Shakti. If you have the right frame of mind, orientation and so forth, then you, any aspect of nature you can worship and become fully Krishna conscious. If you understand it to be a manifestation of Bhagwan, like he says, of this I am, the waters I am, bodies of water I am the ocean, mountains I am, marrow, immovable things I am the Himalayas. And he says, yad yad vimuti bhat sattvam srimadu jitame bhava, all this is but a spark of my splendor. Like it could go on forever, he said. If I was in California, I would say, of trees, I am the redwoods. And that kind of thing. It's a vibhuti. means a powerful, any powerful manifestation of nature is representative of him. So anyway, we approach the nature with a worshipable attitude. So she will show a different face to us. That's why these rishis have described the creation in the poetic way in which they have. Envisioning the Vishnu lying in an ocean of Karana, Karana ocean, the cause of life. And uh, Karana means cause. And universes coming from the pores of his body and and so and a un- then a Vishnu coming in each universe, you know, from a born on the from the navel, from which the umbilical cord is a lotus flower. All these things, it's all like this. Bhaktirasamrita Sindhu, Sindhu Goswami has advises worship of sacred trees and worship of cows, scratching their necks, giving them fresh grasses. And this is all bhakti, according to. Sri Jiva Goswami's Tika on Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, citing the tantras. And so they are sacred rivers and sacred stones and all these things. So Jamuna has become the friend of Mathura, dear to the inhabitants, providing the, the main uh, water source for drinking, for bathing, for washing, everything. How important is water? So naturally these people were attached to the river, Jamuna. But is this just a kind of a animism in which uneducated, uncivilized people project onto a powerful manifestation of nature that they depend upon, uh, divinity, and then worship that? It's that, but it's more than that. And therefore we have such a sophisticated theology and philosophy to uh, support that. It's as simple as that. In other words, and the message is, is that it, Krishna consciousness is really a simplification, that the mind tends to complicate things. Therefore, Gyan Shunya Bhakti. Mahabharu was very fond of this emphasis. Gyan Shunya Bhakti. Bhakti unencumbered by the need to know. This is a whole problem of material existence. We need to know. It means we need to, we want to measure everything, bring it within our grasp. You need to know it, otherwise you won't serve it. So the heart is being held back, you see. Heart is, is, it means we are a unit of 
serving capacity, that's what we are by nature. But mind and intellect tend to hold us back from this. It's as much as an, an impediment as it is a, an advantage. All this philosophy, books and books and books, in one sense, is, just, is meant to help us retire that. It requires intelligence to read and study these things, and if you do carefully, you'll allow your intelligence to get a good bashing from the Bhagavatam. Put it in its place. Gyan, and here's the Brahma statement, Mahaprabhu likes so much. Gyane prayasya udapasya namante eva. He had the four heads, Brahma. Well thought out fellow, and he said like this to Krishna in Brahma Mohan Leela. He said, uh, This approach to knowing, this um, ascending way of knowing, imposing one's intellect upon the environment, this should be hatefully rejected. It will give you a wrong reading of the environment and, and uh, who you are. It will imp- impede your serving tendency. It will hold it back. It's very tricky because you have to use your intelligence also. This is the full use, to know it for what it is, the beast that it is. You see, it doesn't appear to be so much so compared to the uh, physical sense of self. We see people who are very physically oriented rather than intellectually oriented, and they some tend to be less uh, sophisticated. And they say, "Oh, he's just an animal, that guy." Girls used to say that in college and high school years ago. He's just an animal, that guy. I don't know if they probably guys say she's just an animal too these days. So we 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 tend to think ourselves to be more refined and. But it's just uh, this uh, intellectual dwelling. This is like, uh, you know, like um, another kind of thievery, and it's more insidious. It's like um, insider trading or something like that, where the corporate leader leads the whole company astray, takes their money. But he appears like such a gentleman otherwise. White-collar crime. But it's crime, and crime doesn't pay. So we are exploiting the world in a gross way and in a subtle way with our intellect. This exploitation continues. And it's very much it's insidious because it appears that by intellectual exercise we've gone somewhere. We may do this in a, in a spiritual context. Gather information from scripture, repeat it to other people. And other people think, oh, just see, she's so advanced. He's so advanced. But all you have is some information that you're just repeating, that's all. No realization. Heart hasn't softened at all. No taste for Harinam. But you've allowed yourself to think. This is an intellectual sleight of hand, but you've, you've gone somewhere. We should use intelligence to collect this kind of information, think about it, and in such a way, like I like to say, use our head to soften our heart, to apply that. Like you writing down something, so keep that. Put that in your heart. Make that part of you. Not that you just use it to repeat to somebody else. <laughs> and think to yourself that you're more important now. You're really somebody because you, you, you memorized something. No. Submissive hearing means I listen because I want to change. I want to grow. When the point comes, I know that's important. That, that pertains to me. Write it down in my heart. Write it down. Come part of me. That's how you build a spiritual life. 
So he said, Gane Prayasurapasinamanteva. This is this is this approaches. It repels Bhagwan. Doesn't attract him at all. And stani stita conversely, shutikatam vanu, tanuman vanubia. This is staying in your own position and and hearing from Guru Parampara submissively, stane stita shutigatam tanuman manubir. Prayasa jita jitopia pitraistilokyam. The he with ajita becomes jita. Unconquerable becomes conquered by this process. Avarohapanta descending. And this is very much Bhagavan Chaitanya's emphasis also. He did not impose his intellect on the environment. He just read it as it is. Bed abed. Everyone's trying to adjust it in some way because it doesn't make sense. Bed abed. He said, no, it is what it is. Bed abed. Achintya. It's bed abed achintya. He studied, the, heard the Leela of Krishna and it's evident. He's one and he's different at the same time. He's everywhere and moving at the same time. Mother Yasoda, we talked about that Damodar Leela, took place in Krishna's early childhood on the occasion of the Govardhan Puja, which was annual. Everyone was out, so he was home alone with Mother Yasoda. And we talked a little bit about it in the context of that story. Anyway, she, she tried to tie him up. Rope was two inches too short. She gathered more and more rope and more and more. He still remained two inches too short, but he wasn't it still remained two inches too short, but his belly wasn't getting bigger and bigger and bigger all the time. Stayed the same size, more and more rope, still couldn't bind him. It means his form is all-pervasive. But still, it's running away from Mother Yasoda. He's running away from her. How can something that's everywhere move at the same time? So all these leelas, it's pointed out. This is the nature of being, the nature of reality. Mahaprabhu didn't try to imposed his intellect on it, he accepted it as it is. He didn't even write anything except his poem, Shikshastakam. So these Braj people, they're very simple, actually. Not troubled by the need to measure everything and be someone, be something. It's Gyan Shunya Bhakti. Their Bhakti is not encumbered by, by knowledge. That allows them to get close to Bhagwan, And he gets very close to them. They're living simply and worshipping the river. And as we hear, worshipping the hill. But our Goswamis have given so much theology and philosophy to put that in perspective. And it's not just simple Aboriginal people, but they're the most sophisticated people. And we see that. In the writings of the Goswamis, how do we see it? We see it in what they wrote in consideration of the fact that they came here from there. Sanatana Goswami is an illiterate, uneducated village girl of the Braj, just a teenager. But when he comes here, oh my goodness, so much knowledge he has, right? They came, they did this. The kind of books they wrote, it's inconceivable. The knowledge that they had. So it means that this this knowledge is there in the Braj. It's under, underground. It's not necessary for it to surface would be to get in the way 
of the happy dealings. So it remains suppressed. But if someone from there should come here, where there's a need for knowledge, then all that knowledge is expressed, and in a happy way, to give support to devotion. So it's a, a deep place, Prajmandal, very deep. The ground is Advaigyan Tattva. And our bhajan, our practice to go there, will take place on this ground. Advaigyan Tattva. Non-dual knowledge. In other words, bhajan really is performed on this ground. Above that world of the mind that has made for happies and sads, goods and bads, matras, parshas, tukonteya, sitoshna, we live in a world of mind, of goods and bads, happies and sads. What's good for you is bad for me. Happy for me is sad for you. So we're at odds with one another. So to transcend that, this is the beginning. That is Vedanta. And proportionate to the extent that we do that, we put that in place, then our bhakti is, is well informed. So, real bhajan is, takes place on this platform, Advaigyan Tattva. So underneath the ground of Vrindavan, every stone is, is like full of knowledge. But it's happy to be a stone only. And you see this again, the idea, real happiness, real knowledge, complete, comprehensive knowledge, that is bhakti. So, this Jamuna has become the friend of Mathura embraced all the people there, coming from the sun. She has been described by Shidiva Goswami in his Brahma Sanghita commentary, in his Krishna Sandarbha, in his poetic rendering and more of Krishna Sandarbha, Shri Gopal Champu, as the Sushumna. Sushumna. This is a, a subtle mystical channel, nadi, it's like river, nadi, in the body, there are 101 nadis, arteries, kind of subtle arteries, or something like that, coming from the heart, going everywhere, according to the yogic worldview. And the 101st, this is called shushumna, shushumna, the channel of light. And the yogi has to enter that channel to come out successfully and attain liberation. Difficult, huh? You have to sort that out. But it lights up for the yogi. Shushumna lights up so that he can see and find his way into there and go to the world of light. So this is Jamuna microcosmically manifesting in the body, Shushumna. And she gives light there. She's daughter of the sun, see, so she can give light. And she's just, so she doesn't let just anybody in at the time of death. Who is qualified? She illumines for them. They can find a way, enter. So this way she gives, she's the channel to liberation. But here the point is that she's come and made a friendly relationship with Mathura. So she's residing there in the form of a river. And she's dark. Sometimes she's called the Krishna. There's another name for Jamuna, the Krishna. It's, it's a black river. 
She's black, but she's luminous at the same time. Why is she black? Because she has identified herself with the land of Mathura, which is the land of Krishna. And Krishna is black. And in deep love, you look for yourself. Find two people who are deeply in love for a long time. Long time. Many years. Materially speaking. And what will you see? That they look like one another. They start to look like one another. It's a fact. <laughs> they take on one another's qualities. This is the nature of, of love. When it becomes deep, then... So she's deeply in love with Krishna. She's, she's taken on his complexion. It won't always happen, but to some extent. She's taken on his complexion. She's called the Krishna. And she's practically encircling the Vrindavan. And if you become a devotee, then you want to go and live in Mathura. Mathura Mandal, Braja Mandal. Naturally, you have affinity for that place. And so, mostly only devotees bathe in her waters. Because almost the only devotees are living there. They have some devotion for Krishna. That's why they go there. Even if they want something else besides bhakti, if they want mukti, or they want material acquisition, they think, I get it there. And it's true. Easy. It will come there. Just like there are people who chant Hare Krishna better than you do. And they want liberation. And they know from this Hare Krishna chanting you can get mukti very easily. So they add it like anything. They're at it with the same kind of determination that people go and do the Himalayas and stand on one leg or lay in a bed of nails or all those types of things. With that kind of determination. They chant Hare Krishna for mukti. And they get it. Easily. So some of that people go to Vrindavan. They have some devotion. Shankaracharya is famous for having said what he really wanted to do was retire on the banks of the Jamuna and hear about the playful sports. Shri Krishna. So, if you are devotee then, and you bathe in her waters, then what happens? Then you remain in the circle of Mathura. The nature of Vrindavan and the Braj is that it gives, it gives liberation in the context of attaching, getting people attached to it. This is contradictory, <laughs> because liberation is about detachment. But the whole of Braja works like this, and Jamuna included. It gives liberation in the context of making people attached to itself. This way, yogis will have to be very careful to step into the right channel to go to the world of light. And the devotees will simply bathe in the Jamuna and float on their waters and live beyond liber liberation and beyond. This is bhakti. Again, liberation is knowledge. Knowledge is there. But more, something more. It's 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 a small thing in comparison. So Jamuna is very powerful. She can give pure love of Krishna. She's very fair, luminous, and friendly to the inhabitants of, of Mathura. She's superior in in glory to the Ganga, even. Here it is mentioned. So in the Swissanathan Goswami says a few words about Jumuna uh, Devi. Then, Govardhano Jayati, 
शैला कुलाधिराजो जो गुपिक उदित हरिदास वर्ज कृष्ण शाक्रमाखभंगचित लोर्ड्स Lotus hand. So having glorified Jumuna, now he glorifies Govardhan. Govardhan was the big uh, asset that uh, Upananda spoke of in his attempt to convince the king Nanda to make the move from Gokul Mahavan to Vrindavan. There, at the foot of Govardhan, Vrindavan forest, and Govardhan, which. nourishes increases the cows so much be said about gobardhan in the in the sacred texts as well he's called giridaj the king of mountains it is said that um, when krishna made his plan to descend to the world he told radhika i cannot go without you she said well that's fine i will not go where there is no jumuna no gobardhan This is the same thing she told him at Kurukshetra. Krishna came from Dwarka to Kurukshetra and the inhabitants of Vrindavan also came there. And for about 50 years they had not seen Krishna. Maybe 40 years. Their hearts were pining for him. They had not seen him. So they met him there and there he was riding on an elephant. Now that's a big thing. Ride on an elephant and for a for a person who previously was just herding cows. These are opposite ends of the spectrum, you see, in the social life. To herd cows is at the bottom end. As wonderful as that is, it's, it's it doesn't take a big education and uh, you do it barefooted and so forth. Practically they're barely dressed, the cowherd people. or to speak of following the latest fashions and so forth that doesn't work well with working with cows so they dressed very simply and barefooted and so forth now they saw him him like that that's how they knew him walking on the gorodan hill with the cows grazing them bathing in the jamuna and so forth it's a very intimate setting very casual as we said earlier today in this setting krishna can be free to be everything he is everything comes out there the full krishna shows himself in the places these more reserved restricted by the circumstances and the religious protocol and, and so forth vrindavan is sarvadharma puritaja beyond all that so they saw him anyway at kurukshetra coming from dwarka and this cowherd is riding on an elephant <laughs> riding on an elephant means royalty the royalty they keep elephants cuz After all, it's expensive to keep an elephant compared to keeping a cow. The returns are less, though, much less. <laughs> keep the cow is not expensive, but the return is great. It's a fantastic investment. 
we should advertise this kind of investment. Just see what a little you have to give and how much you will gain from that. The stock is always increasing. Keeping an elephant is very costly in comparison. They eat maybe 100, 200 pounds of food a day. In the zoos in America, they take up funds. They make a campaign to feed elephants and get people enlisted. We visited an elephant in San Francisco. Brindarani as a child, she had enlisted as a donor to feed the elephant. We visited him just before he passed away one day. <laughs> Anyway, so to keep an elephant is very, very costly. Then to have one to ride on, so this is the sign of royalty. So they saw him, it means in regal, princely dress, people bowing down to him, offering prayers and so forth. He's showing them four hands. Is that showing them more or is that showing them less? Gita is explained, uh, the two-arm two form, that is the more in Arjuna's eye of love not the four-armed form. That will make you stand back a little bit. So anyway, like that they saw him. And Krishna said, well, look, you know, sorry I've been away for so long. I didn't mean it. There's just a lot of things that I had to do. And not that I wasn't thinking about you. In fact, why don't you come on back with me to Dwarka? Krishna's saying this so that Radha and Gopis will say what they said and teach us. Krishna's very kind. For us, he's doing this. Showcasing the, the love of Vrindavan for us, so that we can know what really love is really about, what is the highest ideal of love. That's why he left there, to shed light back on that. As I said earlier, the Leela builds up to Ras Panchajai, the Ras Leela. This is the high point, consummation of the love of Radha and Krishna. Then it, all the chapters after that are pointing back to that, reflecting back on that. So at that time he said, why don't you come with me to Dwarka? What did Radharani say? No, I'm not interested in that. I don't want you without Govardhan, Jamuna, all your friends. I love them too. Hmm? Your parents, all the paraphernalia, all that which facilitates the kind of love that I was able to cherish with you there. That is the parakya. He's not all interested in being one of Krishna's queens in Dwarka, sharing him with anyone. Or, no, she wants intimacy of Vrindavan. So the same way when he offered he was going to come to the world, she said, he want, can you come with me? She said, I'm not going where there's no Jamuna, no Vrindavan. She knows. Actually, you never, never take a step outside of Vrindavan yourself. Nityam Sanhito Hari is mentioned about Mathura. He never leaves Mathura. This is interesting because this word sanhito also means hides. He's always present in Mathura. It means sometimes he also hides in Mathura, which means in Vrindavan he's fully manifest. He's somewhat hidden. His full self doesn't come out in Mathura. His full self doesn't want to speak of Dwaraka. It comes out in Vrindavan. So anyway, he said, that's all right. I've already sent Gover down there. I've already sent the Jamuna there ahead of me. It is said that Govardhan, knowing, and this is the this is the land of Braj, they're a step ahead. This is a good this good student. One step ahead means he or she knows it's looking. If you look you can find it. If you're not looking you won't see. Then Gurudev will have to say, Bring this. 
do that, hopefully you'll get it at that point. But ideal is he's looking all the time. He can understand Gurudev want this. He's there without having to be asked. So all this uh, Vrindavan environment is like that. One step ahead. Like Yogamaya, like the shadow of Krishna, following him everywhere. Knows exactly what he wants. Provides the environment, the atmosphere, and so forth. So Jamuna already made steps. Govardhan made steps. He made steps to take birth as uh, the son of one mountain. Mountains have children too, apparently. Birther, all the mountains worshipped him. Mountains, one thing you should know, mountains are worshipable. Because they are such big givers. So much life is uh, supported by the mountain. So many animals, so many flowers and insects. It's just a real big house supporting so many kinds of life. And, and the metropolis nearby is playing off it in, in different ways and so forth. Worshipable in human society. Such a powerful manifestation of, of nature. At any rate, all these other mountains, they came and they worshipped Govardhan, recognizing him to be who he was. They crowned him the Giri Raj. Giri means mountain, king of mountains. And then the sage came, Pulatsya Rishi came. He wanted a mountain. He asked Drona for his son. He wanted to take him where to? I think Banaras. Banaras? What a dry place. Can you imagine? Govardhan will go to Banaras. Banaras is a place of Buddhism and Mayavad, Gyan. No devotee wants to go there. They said if you want to die, then go to Kasi, go to Banaras. People go there to die in search of liberation. It means if you die there, you said to get liberation. We have no interest in that whatsoever. Mahaprabhu went there. What about that? But first he sent some devotees there. They didn't know why. Chandrasekhar, Tapanmi, what the heck Mahaprabhu was sending us here? There's no devotees here. Because he would come there and he would not go if there were no devotees. <laughs> so that service he asked of them. So they put him up in his house, they cooked for him. And of course, he's going there on the way to Vrindavan. He had to cross through that. And he defeated those Maya bodies. Actually, he ignored them on the way there. He just ignored that. That whole mind's demands to take the life out of the Leela. This is what the Maya bodies do, isn't it? They take the whole life out of the Leela, dissect it, draw some point out, and it disappears. We will dissect it, draw some point out to enter into it, to get something from it that will inform our practice so that we may have better capacity to go there, enter there, to make, uh, construct ourselves, uh, erect the self, so to speak, based on the knowledge of that place, the feeling of that place. So anyway, he went through, he ignored them, Prakashananda Saraswati and all those Maya bodies, he ignored them. Then on the way back, he defeated them. He went to Vrindavan, then he came back and he completely defeated them. So anyway, Govardhan didn't want to go there, but he agreed to go with that fellow because he wanted to go to Vrindavan. 
And so he told him that, I'll go with you, but um, on the one condition that wherever you put me down, that's where I'll stay. I won't move from there. So he was carrying him and going, and then by Govardhan's own arrangement, he had to answer the call of nature just around the brudge area. <laughs> so he came, set him down, went to bathe in the Jamuna, came back, and Govardhan would not budge, would not move. I'm not moving from here for a moment. This is my real home. The sage, who wasn't uh, that developed in bhakti, couldn't understand. He cursed him. Cursed him that you will shrink the size of a mustard seed every, every day or something like that. So it's said that at that point in Kali Yuga, when the Govardhan is no longer visible as a hill, having shrunk, then it won't be a good time to be around. <laughs> something, <laughs> something like that. So in the meantime, try to take advantage of Govardhan. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu did that, of course. Taking one stone from there. He kept that stone. Govardhan, you see, is also, he's mentioned here, Haridas Varja. Mahaprabhu chanted this verse twice. This verse of Venu Gita, spoken by Radharani. The word is used in Sanatana's verse, but it's found in a verse in, in Bhagavatam. The gopis are glorifying Krishna and in the midst, Radharani speaks this verse about Govardhan. There he's called Haridas Bharja, the best of the Hari's servants. And the context in which she, she calls him such is with regard to the various ways in which he serves Krishna. Now if we study that, we'll see that Govardhan provides all the 16 types of worshipable paraphernalia and, and more. Like when we do puja, then first you offer the Lord a, a seat and some welcome. Swagatam, swagatam. Hmm? And you give the foot wash, wash his feet, padya, some mouthwash, argya, some maduparka, some vestments, nice clothes, and ornaments, and so forth. Then offer some, some song, some food bath, all these things. So, so, We do this in, in puja, this, in seva puja. This is a ritualistic kind of worship. I like to call it the realm of ritual. It's in between the spiritual world and the material world. It's kind of in between where you can go. And there are certain rules that, that are, by which you have to conduct yourself in that realm of ritual. And it, it's a certain language. It's kind of a symbolic language that's spoken there and movements and so forth. It don't make any sense materially, and it's not exactly what goes on in the spiritual world, but it's symbolic of what goes on there in the spiritual world. Through the symbol, then you enter in there, you come out on the other side. So it's all going on on the other side. This is the point. All that ritualistic worship is going on, but in a different, it's manifest in a different way. Like Govardhan is standing there doing this Seva Puja to Krishna every day. He's the head Pujari of Vrindavan. Krishna comes, he got big boulders that are like like big jewels as a seat for Krishna. The birds are chirping, swagatam, swagatam, welcome. And there are springs, natural springs that for bathing his feet, padyam, they're nice lakes, and around the lakes grow nutmeg and cloves. Mixing together you make argya over this kind of thing. And then it, to Krishna. Then there's Madhuparka. The cows are coming there. 
young cows after giving the first calf and the milk pours from their udder drips on the ground gobies come carrying yogurt some is spilling they're honeybees mixing the honey together this is mixed maduparka offered to the Lord there are waterfalls then for bathing him and there's bark from the trees very nice trees very nice bark very soft and like golden color making nice vestments for Krishna beautiful dress all these things are offered gobis are seeing like this they're seeing oh he's doing the seva puja for Krishna he's manifesting that way these things you have to think about when you worship the deity Arctic is also going Aratri means end of night Krishna is coming back the sun is setting Rohini is taking the lamp to look and see all over his body is everything okay from head to toe there's a scratch here what happened Madhamangal says oh I did that this way distracting the Vatsalya Bhaktas from the truth of Krishna's romantic life this arti arati means end of night all these things different ways it's spoken about but the, the ritualistic worship is a kind of a symbolic entrance into there so they speak of him like this all these things he's offering all these things he's providing he's the best servant of Hari Vishwanath Chakravartitakur in his Bhagavat commentary he sees Giriraja as a Sakha a friend of Krishna he is Krishna and friend of Krishna different persons have written in different ways but the fact here that Sanada makes the point that here gopis are calling him he cites this verse of Bhagavatam that I'm discussing with you in brief that's significant it's coming from the mouth of Radha he's the best servant that should be given uh, some emphasis then in other places in the Bhagavatam, I believe maybe Yudhisthira is called Haridas Varja and maybe Uddhava. But this is Gopis speaking, and then the chief amongst them, Radharani, is saying that. This is Govardhan, very special. Mahaprabhu took notice of that. He quoted this verse of Bhagavatam when he came to Vrindavan and he saw Govardhan for the first time. And he wouldn't tread upon the hill of Govardhan. He felt, oh, this is worshipable, I won't walk there. Later in Puri, he cited this verse also, when in madness he saw like a mountain of sand on the beach and he thought it was Govardhan. He quoted this verse and went into trance there. So it was very dear to him. As I mentioned, he kept the stone. And how did he worship the stone? Oh, Giriraj is worshipping Krishna in a rather sophisticated way, offering all these different items and so forth. He himself taking the role of Krishna, accepts worship in a very simple way. Mahaprabhu bathed him with his tears, wore him like uh, with a, a rope around his neck, we used to rub him on his head like this and, and cry and cry. This was his worship. He gave that stone of Giriraj Govardhan to Raghunathas Goswami. People say, oh yeah, Das Goswami was not a Brahmin, so Mahaprabhu didn't give him the Shaligram which is the stone worshipped by the Brahmins. He gave him this Govardhan stone, some lesser thing. They shouldn't think like that. <laughs> what did he say? He said, you take this stone and worship like this. You pour a little Ganges water on. You take the Tulsi leaf, Tulsi 
manjari with two leaves coming, four buds, two leaves on each side, like eight manjaris, worship around, pour around him and bathe him with Ganges and offer some sandesh, like this. But if you look closely at the language there in Chaitanya Charitamrita, you see what he's saying. He's saying, these articles are not important. That's the secondary thing. It's your heart. You have to give your heart completely here. This is the Radmar worship. The Brahmins, they can't understand that. They want it to, it has to be too sophisticated. Hum, hum, rim, hum, all these paraphernalia, everything. Yeah. It's you <laughs> that is to be given. <laughs> you are the offer, offering. <laughs> you are to be offered, your heart. Yeah. He told Raghunath Das, you worship with your heart, in bhava, in ecstasy. This doesn't require much then, does it? Not much, just everything. <laughs> Very simple, you don't need anything. Just you, that's all you need. Give yourself completely. This is the worship of Govardhan. So Raghunath Das did like this. He's the Prayojan Tattva Acharya. He's teaching us that the what the ideal is through his writing and example. Mahaprabhu gave him the Govardhan and gave him one mala of gunja berries. And Raghunath Das thought, he's giving me a place at the foot of Govardhan in the Leela. And he saw the gunja berries which Mahaprabhu would wear around his neck. He put around his neck when he would worship the Govardhan. And then when he received that mala, he said, Das Gosami thought, oh, he could understand the language of the movements of Mahaprabhu. He said, he's giving me a place at Govardhan hmm. in the service of Radha. So he takes his place there. This is pointing the direction. This is the ideal of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. This is the ideal here being pointed out in Brihya Bhagavatamrita. So this Giriraj Govardhan is very important to us more important than the Shaligram, even. Vishnu is the Ragmark deity. You don't need anything, but you just have to give everything. That's all. And everything he will give to you, as I said the other day, he's towering above Vrindavan. He can see everything. He knows every pastime of Krishna. Then he can tell it to you. And you should worship Govardhan, if you Gurudev gives you the opportunity, with that in mind. This stone can tell me everything everything I need to know. All the Brajabhasis are worshipping Govardhan. They came to Vrindavan because Govardhan was there. So he should not be neglected and Sanatana Prabhu has shown the example here. All glories, he says, to Giri Govardhan. Any question? Yes? Um, I don't know if you mentioned it, but this um, Govardhan stone that they're chosen to worship, is it still left somewhere in some temple? Yes, it is. At uh, Radha Gokulananda temple, famous temple in Vrindavan, there the, there's the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu deity of Narutam Dastakwa, Narutam's deity of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and the deity of Lokanath Kusami and Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, the deity of Baladev Gajibhushan, also is Radha and Krishna deity, very special place, and the stone of Govardhan. And it has a thumbprint of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in it. Mahaprabhu's thumb melted the, the stone, as you can see. It's about this, this big, like this. And his thumbprint is melted there. You should go there.
What else? Yes. Guru Maharaj, you have been talking a lot about generosity, about the Vaishnavism and how spiritual life is about happiness and so on. But um, for me, my religious life is uh, very often about the feelings of guilt and uh, bad consciousness. I kind of know what I should be doing, but then I can't find the motivation to do it then, and then as a consequence I start feeling very guilty. <laughs> and um, uh, these are not very constructive feelings, because uh, then at the end uh, I just get paralyzed in a way. I start feeling more worse about myself, and then I don't even have that motivation that I had in the beginning. <laughs> so, would you have some words about that? Yeah, you just write to me. We're a small group, so you can write to me and, and I'll try to give you some inspiration. But that is a big problem in the Western world. And Finnish people repress their feelings a lot, I think, too. <laughs> so it becomes more, prob more problematic. I think you have to consider these points and they must be encouraging for you to hear when I speak about the generosity of bhakti and, and so forth. And consider that then in relation to other religious traditions that, uh, like Lutheranism that you may have been brought up within or Zwigli's, I guess that's in Sweden, wasn't Zwigli there? Switzerland. Switzerland, okay. Lutheranism in Sweden also? It's prominent here. Anyway, compared to the Chaitanya Bhakti, Chaitanya Vaishnavism, Gaudiya Vaishnavism, it's a very different idea, and it is very seeks to motivate people a lot by guilt and fear and and so forth. So you may be coming out of that kind of a background. At least your family may may be uh, people you know, whether they're you know card-carrying Lutherans or they go to church and they say they have that in the background and so forth. So bhakti is very different, very generous. And, for example, in Bhagavatam, Krishna says that my devotees sometimes, they have material desires and they succumb to them. And they, they go beneath the standard that they've set for themselves. He says, it happens. He says that, but then, they're sincere, they express their remorse, and they carry on, and it's all taken care of. So, some remorse, but not to the point of becoming neurotic about it. You have to keep your, your vision on on Krishna. Try to understand, if you try to, I can help you in this way. This is what we're all about. You try to understand the nature of Krishna, the nature of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, their personalities. You read the text, you see what they're like then all this will go away. You see how kind they are. Your guilt will go away and your tendency to succumb to a standard less than the one that you set for yourself will also disappear. You study the person of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, read carefully, the person of Krishna, then you will fall in love with them. Then to follow them will not, will not be difficult. And if you do, then some remorse, but you know, oh, he's very forgiving, so... It's something like this. You're standing on the ground. So if you fall down, what will you do? You have to use the ground to get back up. Right? So we've approached Krishna. This doesn't go any higher than that. That's like the ground. 
I mean, it's, it's like the, that's it. That's the ground of all being. So if we have some shortcoming, what will we do? Who else can we go to? What other way can we make up for that? We can't. We just rely on Krishna and get back up. Like the ground. You fall on the ground, you have to use the ground to get up. So if you fall short from, of your ideal, your bhajana is anishta. So there's something called anishta bhajana kriya. What does it mean? It means there will be ups and downs. It's a stage. <laughs> so you have to pass through that, but it may take some time. But it's a stage of bhakti, so don't be so discouraged. There's something called anishta bhajana kriya. That's what you're you're doing. Stick with it. Gradually, anarthas will go. Then it will become nishta. Don't give up. However hypocritical even you may feel, don't ever give up. Study the person, uh, the, your, your object of worship. If there's some quality in your guru that you notice, that you wish that you had, because it would help you in relation to some aspect of your practice, then you take the picture of your guru and you put it somewhere and you meditate on the picture and on that quality. Yes, I've seen this quality in him. I've seen this quality in, in, in her. She's like this, my Guru Dave. He's like that. I see that quality. I, if I had that quality, then I would, that could become part of me. You meditate like that and you think how he exhibits that quality on this occasion, on that occasion, that quality. This is a kind of a dhyan meditation. Then, well, you'll find that quality will start to come in you. Try it. What else? It's practical. I mean, this isn't even spiritually speak. People put the picture of a rock star in their room, you know, or something like that. And then they start to dress like that guy and talk like him and so forth. Yes? I was surprised that Sanatana Goswami didn't speak about Radhakund. Does he speak about Radhakund later in the book? Or? Not really here. He hasn't, he hasn't done that. No. Yes. Is there a specific reason for that, though? Before Radhakund was manifest? No, Mahaprabhu found the Radhakund. He pointed out Radhakund when he went there, which was before Sanatana Goswami. So, it was already manifest. I cannot say why he's chosen. He has not chosen to speak about Radhakund other than uh, Rupa Goswami has done that to some extent. So, here, I haven't mentioned it, but in some places in Mangalacharan, he, he has also covertly offered his respect to Rupa Goswami. I spoke earlier the fact that Sanatana Prabhu is the elder of the Goswamis and revered by Rupa Goswami, who offers a respect to him in his Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu as his guru, like Siksha Guru. So in Gaur Leela, Sanatana is the elder, so he's offered respect first. But at the same time, in the Krishna Leela, Rupa Goswami holds the leading position as the chief uh, attendant of Radha. Hmm? And Sanatana Prabhu follows him. So here we also find, although he's the leader, he offers his respect to Rupa Goswami, whom he learned these things from, he says, even. In a covert way, he says it in the text. So he... Rupa Goswami also wrote, and he wrote 
about Radhakund. They work together on these books. So. She hasn't been left out, that's why you know about her. From the Goswamis. <laughs> from Rupa Goswami. What else? Any other point? Question? Yes? I was wondering, isn't it said that you're not supposed to pick up a stone from Govardhan Hill? If people go searching for Shalagam Silas, does that in a way underline the importance of Govardhan? Oh, it's different things are said by different people. It said that you shouldn't pick up a stone from Govardhan Hill unless you're uh, prepared to replace it with gold. So if you pick a five-ounce stone, you have to give five ounces of gold <laughs> and live at that Govardhan Hill. So these kind of statements are there. Because um, we're actually the stone should be given to us by the Guru, like Raghunathas Goswami was given by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Then he worshipped. Because Mahaprabhu saw he qualified to worship. So we don't go barge in any, anywhere and just, it's like you don't go just go by, by the deities in the marketplace and start worshipping. Hmm? Of course, people have done that and so forth, but because this thing is proliferated in a particular way, largely owing to the disappearance of my Guru Maharaj and the, and the confusion that arose subsequently, in his presence we were strictly under the guidance of the Guru, and the necessity for that was well understood. In his mission, no one could go and buy a deity in the store. In Prabhupada's mission, no one could buy a deity. The only deities in the temples that he established, and a few other deities that he gave permission. Like he gave me permission to worship Gornatai. He told me, You go to Vrindavan and get a Gornatai, you worship. Because I was traveling everywhere in his mission, and for every few days, a different place. So I wrote to him about that, and, and he said, Did you get a little Gornatai? You put them in a box. We worship them in the morning, we close the box, then go out and preach. Next morning, you wake them up. And I still have those deities they worshipped at Audarya, but a few other instances, maybe three or four. Then after he left, and some people go and buy deity in the store, and just, yeah. they're not even initiated and have the deities and, and so forth. So. so the same principle with uh, Govardhan: the deity comes from the guru, the right to worship the the deity, and, the, and you have to have the mantra, which comes from the guru, and so forth. We don't approach Krishna without the Guru, without his blessing. And anything we do before we speak or whatever, we we invoke the presence of our Guru. So similarly in worshipping Krishna. So there are different statements about that. You're not supposed to go just pick up shaligrams either. Just think, I'll get the shaligram and just go there. Then people do that and it's a fad. And then they end up giving them away. That's a brig who got so many. Probably somebody gave them to you, right? What is that? I mean, not, you shouldn't have taken them and you worshipped them nicely, but they're giving them away. It's just a fad. I'll get a deity. A little excited about that and then they become bored, they become bored it becomes a botherish and you give it away. What is that? These, so these prohibitions are there so people don't make these kind of offenses. But people don't listen, they do. That's why there are some... You see, everybody has some offenses in the background. That's why they have no taste for Harinam. point is, no, to understand that. I have no taste for Harinam, so I must have some offenses in my background, so don't make any more <laughs> in this life. I should stop that. Material desires that I may have, that's a small thing, they will go away. It will be easy to remove. 
what offenses? It's like the sin of the soul. Don't do that. So Gurudev has to protect the disciple, try his best to protect him from making any offense. Give the holy name and everything will come. In that matter, in deity worship, there's a lot of opportunity for making offense, so it's restricted. So people don't make offense. Everybody's not engaged in that necessarily. It's not right away. You understand? No, you just don't go and take. I'll tell you, take that. It's like that's a cool stone. I like that one. No, no, it's that one over there. That's not how Mahaprabhu looked at Govardhan. And he saw any stone, he thought it was Govardhan, and he melted. Practically speaking, this brudge is worshipable in so many respects because devotees are transferring their bhav onto, onto the, the land. If they're coming in their heart, then they're transferring it there. It becomes worshipable. Like, you may see something like, say, here's the footprint of Krishna. See? And you look, yeah, well, maybe it could be. It's said that when he walked on the Govardhan, the Govardhan melted. And so some places his footprints are. There's a couple of places there located. And people bring it out. And you pay a few rupees. And here's the footprint, see? And you can look and go, yeah, maybe. Yes. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> you see, some devotee saw that. And that their bhava was projected onto that. They saw that. It's real came in their heart like that. It actually is worshipable. This is how it, how it works. Where is Krishna? He's in the heart of the devotees. What they see, how they see a thing, we should see it like that. Oh, you see it like that? That's what it is then. We want to see through that lens. You know, you look at the world through modern science and it seems very different than the world of the Bhagavatam. Which do you want? You have to have the heart of Sukadev Goswami, then you will see like him. Don't try to figure out the difference. Try to figure out how to get a heart like Sukadev Goswami so that you can see in that kind of weird way. Sun is closer than the moon or whatever, <laughs> you know. Why not? <laughs> it's a kind of a madness. We want that. Why should we try to straighten out the Bhagavatam to make it look like... No, we don't want it to look like... It looks through the lens of the scientific uh, uh, microscope and telescope. That's not very exciting. And just see all the commotion when you read the Bhagavatam. Because everybody up in air, up in arms. What? The world is like this? It means the world is not like you think it is, okay? Don't think like that. Well, how are you thinking? You're thinking the world is such that it's a real bore, it's a real limitation. There's so many things that are impossible. But the truth is, everything's possible. Nothing's impossible. That's a fact. <laughs> We're accustomed to certain things, working in a certain way. That's why we accept them. If we weren't accustomed to it, we think that's impossible. So many things that we just take for, for granted. It's because we've grown up and we're accustomed to it. Like, you know, so many things. So many things. It's all, it's all miraculous, actually. If you have no experience of it, and I come to you and I say, you see this little seed? How do you like? You like? See that? Now you take this. See this mango? This is a mango. Eat that. You like that? So, okay. Let me give you this seed. You like the mango? I will give you this. You say what for? Because there's millions of mangoes in there. <laughs> 
what you're crazy. <laughs> There's millions of mangas in there. You're crazy? No, no. There's millions of mangas in there. I'm telling you. You think yeah, he's crazy? Man's crazy. Because <laughs> he have no experience. But he tries to give you the experience. No, you take like this and make these conditions. Put water, soil, light. You get millions of mangoes. Because we see it all the time, it just seems, yeah, that, that makes sense. That, that works like that. <laughs> and then we can go scientifically and try to, the, how it does and so forth, but why it does? Why in the first place of it? That just makes no sense. So there are many things we don't have experience of, and we think, oh, impossible. How could it be possible? But the whole idea of Krishna Lila is to take us beyond the realm of our present experience which is so limited. In every atom there's a universe. When Mother Yasoda saw Krishna, looked into his mouth, he was he had eaten dirt, so she looked into his mouth, and what did she see inside there? She saw the whole universe inside of Krishna's mouth. And inside that universe, she saw the planet Earth, she saw Vrindavan, she saw herself holding Krishna and looking into his mouth. And inside that mouth, there was another universe. And this way, this is what you saw. <laughs> you see, the mind is such a small thing. It's really getting in the way of our knowing. It's not we, we know because we have a mind. It gets in the way of that. You go beyond the mind. What else? Any other question? All right, what's the time? Quarter to six. All right, so we should stop there.